And welcome to another titillating episode of Scissors and Scrubs. I'm Nicole. I'm Lara. This week we have, we're going to discuss AVMs and brain aneurysms. Mm -hmm. AVMs, I'll explain what those are in a minute. And we're going to follow it with a story um, from Nicole who had a brain aneurysm after pregnancy. And it's quite a story. She's Mm -hmm. going to get into um, what happened and how she recovered and just weird things that are happening to her still 10 yeah. years out it's 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 an amazing story and i think you might enjoy it yeah um so we're going to get a little technical first mm-hmm. avms i'm going to go with avms okay i don't know why but it makes me think of cars avms i don't know why i don't know either okay so i got all my information from mayo clinic okay and what is an avm laura arterial venous malformation you are so smart she's wicked smart it is an abnormal tangle of blood vessels connecting arteries and veins, which disrupt blood flow and oxygenation. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, it looks like a big, almost grapes, like it's just a big jumble of shit. It's yeah. Just, you can't even, it's, if you took a bunch of necklaces and you tied them all together yeah, to which a big knot, that's mine. what it looks it like. It took me three hours to untangle all my When I moved necklaces. my aunt yesterday, she loves her jewelry, but she's got dementia. And so there's about four necklaces in the size of a tennis ball. Mm-hmm. And she's doing nothing but sitting there. I'm like, why don't you do this? Yeah. And she's just, she's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. And she just put it back aside. I'm like, okay, so they'll stay that way. Yeah. Um, okay, so when you have an abnormal tangle of blood vessels that disrupt the blood flow of oxygen, mm-hmm. it causes the surrounding tissues to not get enough oxygen. And in your brain, that's really bad. Mm-hmm. So all these tangled up blood vessels are weak and they can rupture, causing a stroke or brain damage. Mm-hmm. So... The symptoms, I'm going to go through signs and symptoms and all that. They're going to be very similar to aneurysm because a brain bleed is brain bleed, mm-hmm. no matter how it's causing. And you'll hear the difference between an AVM and an aneurysm, but they're almost, when they surgically treat them, they're almost treated similar. Yeah. All right. So the cause of an AVM is unknown, and it's not thought to be hereditary, even though if I would have an AVM, all my kids would have to be tested sure. for one. Uh, the symptoms are based on the location of where they are. And the first symptom of an AVM is often when it hemorrhages. Most people who walk around AVMs have no idea that they have it. Um, it can cause a progressive loss of neurological function, headaches, nausea, vomiting, seizures, and loss of consciousness. You will also have muscle weakness. You can have, it like it's almost like a stroke. Mm-hmm. Muscle weaknesses, paralysis on one side, loss of coordination or walking. Um, <laughs> you can't perform simple tasks. Weaknesses in your lower extremities, back pain, dizziness, vision problems. You can have loss of control of your eye movements Mm because it's affecting the optic nerve. You can have swelling of the optic nerve. Uh, You can have problems speaking and problems understanding what people are saying to you. Sudden numbness, tingling, or sudden pain. Memory loss, hallucinations, confusion. Again, all of this can be very similar to if you're having a stroke because when you're bleeding into the brain, a stroke is bleeding into the brain. Mm-hmm. An AVM is bleeding to the brain. And an- they're all bleeding into your brain, so it causes all the very similar um, symptoms. Mm-hmm. If you have a vein of Galen, that's an AVM that appears shortly after birth. It's deep inside the brain on a baby. And it's um, these babies look at hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus is when the babies get the really big heads because they have so much oh, fluid, fluid in there. Uh, you'll have swollen veins on the scalp. They'll have seizures. They'll have failure to thrive. And they can get congestive heart failure. So, how do you know when you have an AVM? Well, you go in for something completely mm-hmm. unrelated. They mm-hmm. do a brain scan and they're like, oh, shit, you've got an AVM. Right. 
So even though it's not hereditary, you have a risk factor if you have a family family member who has had this. Um, there are certain hereditary traits like hemorrhagic, <laughs> telangiectasia, telangiectasia. I know this word, but I can't get it out. <laughs> and Osler Weber Rondeau syndrome. They increase your. Don't ask me what that is. That's another episode. Uh, it increases your risk of having an AVM. Complications of an AVM are bleeding and seizures. And if you do not treat the bleeding, like you blow your AVM and you're out in the middle of fucking Yellowstone and you can't get to hospital, uh, you could get significant brain damage or it could kill you. So, how do you diagnose an AVM? You can have a cere- cerebral angi- angiography angiogram. They're going to put a little um, poke in your femoral artery. They're going to shoot dye up into your head and it will take a picture. It'll take a picture of all your vasculature in your head and it'll say, oh, yeah, there's an AVM. You can have a CT scan or an MRI. So let's say we have, you know, a little angio or we have an MRI. There's a huge fucking AVM in the middle of my head. What am I going to do? (laughs) Well, that depends on my age, Mm -hmm. my health, the size of the AVM, because it can be very big, and where it is located. Mm Mm-hmm. Location, 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 mm-hmm. not only in real estate. Surgery is most common treatment. An AVM resection, it's only done for low-risk AVMs surgically. Yeah. Um, you can do an endovascular embolization or a stereotactic radiosurgery. Obviously, surgical, you're going to go in, you're going to pull a flap, you're going to go in, and they're going to take clips, and they clip it. Do they cut it out, or do they just clip it? When they do the, it surgically. The AVM, they might take it out. I don't know. I think they take it out. Yeah. I'm not seeing them. So they go in with these the same things that clip an aneurysm with. They have AVM clips. They clip it and so it won't bleed anymore. If they go in endovascular embolization, they go in through the groin like they do a cerebral angiogram. Excuse me. And they will coil. They'll throw coils into it to prevent it from bleeding. Um, stereotactic radiosurgery is done for an AVM that's in a really dangerous place they can't really mm-hmm. they're not going to risk going in surgically because it's going to create more problem so even though there's no cuts into the body they consider it still surgical and small abms those that are difficult to remove they go in and they focus radiation strictly at the abm to kind of fry it up mm-hmm. um so if you have an abm and you are waiting on treatment they want you to avoid activities that will raise blood pressure or put a strain on an abm don't be you can't take laxatives. You don't want to get constipated and be pushing in that toilet and blow an AVM. Mm-hmm. It has happened. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying this as a joke. It has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, no heavy lifting. No blood thinners because blood thinners can cause it to bleed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you find you have it, it's not a death sentence. You can go and you can get treatment for it. There's three different ways. Hopefully it's not a place that's too traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And you can get it taken care of. Right. On tannurisms. All right. Um, I got my information from nhs.uk.org and Mayo Clinic. Um, an aneurysm is a ballooning in a blood vessel. You can have them any in any vessel in your whole body. A brain aneurysm is a ballooning or bulging of a blood vessel in your brain. Um, it literally looks like a little itty bitty tiny balloon. Yeah, they say people say they look like a berry on a stem because yep. the stem is the rest of your blood vessel, and then there's like a berry on yep. it, which is the aneurysm. Yep. Um. They develop as a result of thinning artery walls. Um, they can occur anywhere, but usually they form at the forks of your branches. Yes. Like, so a, a vessel will branch and at that little fork, like yes. that little intersection, that's where they usually form because it's just weaker there. 
um, and they can they can occur anywhere in your brain, but it's most common at the base of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, most brain aneurysms don't rupture, um, but they they most brain aneurysms do not rupture. They do not create health problems, and they do not cause symptoms most of the time. Those aneurysms are usually found only when testing for other conditions. Like I was in a car accident. I hit my head. They take a CAT scan. They're like, oh, hey, you have an aneurysm. They tested my aunt for something else in her 70s, and she had a brain aneurysm. Yeah. And we had it scanned till she was 88 or something. And they were like, okay, you're going to die of old age, but <laughs> she's still alive yeah. before the brain aneurysm is going to rush her. My other aunt went in, found one in her. So sure bad. if my mother, my mother's one of 12. I'm sure if they went in, yeah, I'd be interesting to see, but they all were popping up with brain aneurysms, yeah. but they all lived. Um, doctors may want to treat an unruptured aneurysm, like preventatively, Mm -hmm. if it's causing symptoms or to prevent a future rupture. Um, some symptoms an unruptured brain aneurysm cause are pain above or behind one eye, a dilated pupil on one side, um, change in vision or double vision and numbness on one side of the face. This is usually because the aneurysm is large. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's pushing on the brain tissue and the nerves in that area. If your brain, if it's small, it's probably not going to cause any symptoms. Um, aneurysms can also quote unquote leak. A leaky aneurysm leaks a small amount of blood that can cause a sudden, extremely severe headache. If you get a sudden, extremely severe it's headache, never a good sign. Go to the hospital. Um, a more, a more severe rupture often follows the leaking. So if it's starting it's to leak, coming. you got to get it taken care of. A ruptured aneurysm is a medical emergency. It is a life or death situation. It causes bleeding into the brain, which is also called a hemorrhagic stroke. So people get confused with this because most people, I think, think of strokes as clotting, mm-hmm. which a stroke, there are, it's an ischemic stroke is it's when you have a clot in your brain. Strokes, right. A hemorrhagic stroke is when you have a bleed in your brain. It causes the same thing, death to the surrounding mm-hmm. tissue, just from two different things. Mechanisms. Yep. Um, usually they occur between the brain and the dura, which is like that thin little layer mm-hmm. on top of your brain, which results in a subarachnoid hemorrhage. A subarachnoid hemorrhage, whether it's from a hemorrhagic stroke or from hitting your head or whatever, is a life-threatening emergency. Um, it puts pressure, the pressure of the blood being trapped between that layer and your brain causes the cells around that area to die. So then you get brain brain damage. You get your brain starts to die. It causes swelling. It can cause brain herniation. It can kill you. Um, Symptoms of a rupture. Sudden, severe, quote unquote, the worst headache of my life is a hallmark sign. That is literally what everybody says. I have the worst headache of my life. Hallmark sign of a uh, aneurysm rupture. Other symptoms. Nausea and vomiting. Stiff neck. Blur or doubled vision. Sensitivity to light. Seizure. Drooping eyelid. loss Loss of consciousness and confusion complications after a rupture so you're okay you have a bleed you have a rupture you're bleeding they take care of it this stuff happens after that you can have re-bleeding an aneurysm that has leaked or ruptured is at risk of bleeding again um you can have narrow blood vessels in the brain after a rupture vessels in the brain may contract and narrow which is called a vasospasm so like your blood vessels in that area or other areas are contracting so it's really hard for that blood to flow through them this can cause an an ischemic stroke so you've had a hemorrhagic Mm -hmm. stroke and now you can have an ischemic stroke on top of it where there is because there's limited blood flow to the brain causing cell damage and death 
Um, you can get hydrocephalus. The buildup of the blood from the rupture can block the movement of your cerebral spinal fluid, which surrounds your brain and your spinal cord, which can cause an excess of fluid to build up, putting pressure on the brain, causing cell damage and death. Um, and it can also cause a change in your sodium levels. Bleeding into the brain, especially near the hypothalamus, can disrupt sodium balance, which is extremely, extremely important. A drop, especially in the brain. Yeah. A drop in sodium can lead to brain swelling and permanent damage and death. Mm-hmm. Um, so treatment for the different types of aneurysms. An unruptured aneurysm, they treat it based on the risk. Um, your age. Preventative surgery in older adults, usually the risks outweigh the benefits. So they do not usually do preventative surgery in older adults. The size of the aneurysm, if it's larger than seven millimeters, they often treat it preventatively because that's too big. It's going to cause other problems. The brain seven millimeters is pretty good. It's huge, yeah. Um, The location of the aneurysm. If the aneurysm is on a larger blood vessel, they're more likely to rupture. Like a carotid artery in your brain. They're more likely to rupture than a smaller than being on a smaller blood vessel so they would probably preemptively treat it if aneurysm rupture risk is considered low active observation is recommended you'll be checked regularly you may be given blood pressure meds to make sure your blood pressure stays in a good range you'll be counseled on weight loss and eating less saturated fats to reduce your risk of high blood pressure and blowing the aneurysm if preventative treatment is recommended, there are two main surgical techniques. It's neuros- neurosurgical clipping and endovascular coiling. Neurosurgical clipping, just like in the AVM, is brain surgery. You're under general anesthesia. You're put to sleep. They cut your skin. They remove a piece of your um, your skull, your skull, which we say they'll take a flap um, so they can access your brain. They're going to go into your brain. They're going to go into the area where the aneurysm is, and then they will put permanent metal clips on the aneurysm to seal it off and they put back your bone flap close up your skin good as new over time that aneurysm will seal along the sides of the metal clips permanently closing off the blood supply to the aneurysm sometimes they clip it on the aneurysm sometimes if the aneurysm is very large or like complex they'll clip the artery further down instead of the aneurysm itself if they do this they will they can perform a bypass to reroute the blood flow and they'll take like a little vein from your leg Mm -hmm. put it in your brain to bypass that area for the circulation um endovascular coiling it's not a brain surgery they're in your brain common i haven't seen a clipping in a long time i haven't right i haven't done a clipping in a very long time because the coiling is much less invasive and it's a safer procedure so endovascular coiling not a brain. Yes, they're in your brain. They're not going. They're not. We're not opening up your. They're head. in your groin through yeah. your, to your brain through your groin. So they insert a catheter into an artery in your groin, and then they guide a wire up through all your networks of vessels till they get into your head, and then they get into that aneurysm. Then they deploy tiny platinum coils into the aneurysm so blood cannot enter it, which means it's sealed off. It can't grow anymore. It shouldn't rupture. And it's clotted, so it's not, even if it ruptures, nothing's going to Right, it's not, you're not going to bleed to death out of it. Um, both procedures work very well. Just depends on the size, location, and shape of the aneurysm. But again, we're go- we, we are seeing a trend where we're going more coiling. It's just a, it's a less invasive, it's safer, mm-hmm. it's quicker. Um, if your aneurysm ruptures, you will require one of these surgeries emergently. Mm-hmm. So this these are preemptive, but if it ruptures, 
we're doing the same exact em- surgery, but we're doing quicker. it <laughs> emergently because if that the longer that blood stays in your head, the, the longer damage. the more damage it's going to do. Other treatments that you get when the aneurysm ruptures, you can get you can get calcium channel blockers, which help reduce the effects of vasospasms. Um, IV meds to help reduce ischemic strokes. They could do angioplasty. Um, with balloon to expand the arteries or vasodilate. They can give you vasodilators through the angioplasty to help stop the vasospasms because you don't want an ischemic stroke on top of a hemorrhagic stroke. Um, They can give you anti-seizure meds. You can have a VP shunt, which means they put, they go into your brain, they put a little, some tubing in and they tunnel it down into your belly. So if you're building up um, extra CSF, it drains the fluid off. So you don't have the pressure of that. They might give you a lumbar drain, which does like the same thing, drain some fluid. Um, and you might possibly need rehab after, depending on the outcome of the blown. What, however aneurysm. bad the strokes right. were, however bad the rupture was, as you're going to hear, um, the girl we interview, she was very fortunate with the amount of lack of damage that happened, mm-hmm. but not everybody is so no. lucky. It really depends on where it is, how big it is, how much it bleeds, how far you were. Mm-hmm. I mean, people coming from Maine or people coming from Revere, it, it really depends on... So many factors. Right. And honestly, I saw her scans. I thought she was going to die. I thought she was going to be dead. Right. I don't know how she's alive, to be honest. You look good when she came in. No, it was not good. Um, The cause of brain aneurysm or any aneurysms is unknown, but there's several risk factors that are known. They are more common in adults than kids. They are more common in women than men. Smoking is a risk factor. Hypertension is a risk factor. Drug abuse, especially cocaine, is a risk factor. Heavy alcohol use. Um, uh, uh, previous head trauma. And previous blood infections. Interesting. Yeah. Um, some conditions present at birth can raise your risks. Ehlers-Danlos is an inherited connective dis- tissue disorder that weakens blood vessels, so that puts you at risk for developing aneurysms. Polycystic kidney disease puts you at risk because it increases your blood pressure. Didn't even think of that. Um, coactation of the aorta also affects your blood pressure, mm-hmm. puts you at a higher risk for um, aneurysms. AVMs put you at a higher risk yep. for aneurysms. And a family history, especially first degree, it is not hereditary, but a first degree family history puts you at higher risk. So your mother, sister, your father, brother. your sister, your brother. Um, you can lower your risks by stopping smoking. Eating a healthy diet, moderate alcohol intake, maintain a healthy weight, exercise regularly, and cut down caffeine. So a healthy lifestyle. Healthy lifestyle. I mean, you can't, again, you're not going to stop yourself from getting one, but you could prevent it from getting worse or your blood pressure increasing and then blowing the aneurysm, right. you know. So um, that's it on aneurysms. But Well, I have a funny little OI story about aneurysms okay. um, that I'll share and then we'll listen to Nicole. So back in my early days of scrubbing, mm-hmm. I'm a brand new scrub, and you remember the surgeon we had. He was mm-hmm. a nut. And yeah, and he was our aneurysm guy. Like, we, mu- I must have gotten there just after he got out of residency, and he was building. He was there every weekend, oh, all God. the time. He was, there he all the time. was intense, mm-hmm. and if he didn't like the staff that was on, mm-hmm. he didn't operate. Mm-hmm. But if he liked the staff that was on, he'd book three aneurysms. Mm-hmm. So I'm new to doing aneurysms. I'm in his room, and at the time, they took a very long time to do. You're in a dark room. Mm-hmm. The aneurysm clips, they're going in your brain. So they're not very big. Right, they're, they're very, mean, very tiny. Mean, yeah. mean, tiny. And you've got to loam on this needle holder in a certain way. And you can't see because it's fucking dark. So we're doing an aneurysm. 
and he picks he would always pick his clips yes. that he wanted yeah. he'd be like load this one and this is my backup mm-hmm. okay i got them loaded you know because i had time and on the microscope was a camera so there was a tv in the room so you could watch what he was doing mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's grabbed and he's getting into the aneurysm and i will say i mean as much as i fucking hate neurosurgery i hate it i find mm-hmm. it so boring the aneurysms were cool because yeah. you could see. Yes. It was the coolest thing to yeah. see. Right. So it never failed. It happened to me many times afterwards. I was much more prepared, but I'm watching and all of a sudden the screen goes red. Oh, God. It had ruptured. Mm-hmm. Right as we're getting ready to clip it, it fucking ruptures. So when it, I mean, they are bleeding. Yes. He starts screaming at me to clips and my hands are shaking. And I go to hand him the clip and they are looking in the microscope. So he's just got his arm out looking and the clip. Flew oh, off the clip applier. Gone. I'm like, fuck. Not only does he need it, it's a countable item. Yeah. So he's like, give me the backup. Give me the backup. And I go to give him the backup and fling, <gasps> it goes off the thing. I'm like, shit, I'm sweating. I'm shaking. He is screaming at me. Yeah. He's like, give me the fucking clips. <laughs> so and they were all on these like plastic yeah. pieces yeah. of paper. There's like 30 clips. And I hand him that and he clips the whole thing. He's like, Jesus Christ, if you don't know what you're fucking doing, get out of the room. I'm like, <laughs> they were on the OR light. <laughs> they made it the top of the OR light. Well, I learned how to clip an aneurysm mm. after that. Mm-hmm. Never made those mistakes Mm-mm. again. And I was one of the people, if I was on, he booked three yeah. aneurysms. But wow, did I. Ooh, that oh. was the most harrowing experience of my life. I'm they not are very, lie. those cases Tense. are very stressful. They were tiny. When they are getting ready to go. You're like, okay, this is like it because it's, they bleed so fast bleed, and, that, and, like, and the brain dies. Anything on that screen yeah. and to dump both of his clips. Whew. I can't believe he didn't You're like strangle me. Right? Yeah, yeah, I can't believe I'm alive to tell the tale. Yeah. All right. So following up is Nicole's story. It's an amazing story and we hope you enjoy it. And yes. we will see you next week. All right. So we've covered aneurysms yeah. in AVMs. Yeah. And we have Nicole with us, who unfortunately, nine years ago, post-pregnancy, what, four days post-pregnancy? I was five days postpartum. Five days postpartum, as if that isn't hot enough, uh, ruptured an aneurysm in her brain, not in her abdomen. No. <laughs> um, so, Nicole, tell us your story. Take us from the morning of the day it happens. What happens? Sure. Um, I will say first that... I feel like this was one of the best things that ever happened to me in my whole really? life. Really? I absolutely do. It gave me such a different perspective on what matters and what doesn't and how- like, You hear people say that. You yeah, do hear people say it, that. It like, changed me in a good way. More positives than negatives, but it was not great, mm-hmm. obviously. So I was five days postpartum. That day, my husband and I took our new baby to the pediatrician, had a great checkup. Um, went to Target to buy snacks and other baby things. Who knows? I mean, it's a great place to go. Target's the best. <laughs> and then went back to our house. Um, we had some visitors over to see the baby. And then that night. Um, so during the day, you're not feeling weird? Nothing? Nothing. No, I mean, I just, you know, had a baby and that was kind of the trip. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any headaches or any dizziness or no, like nothing. no like numbness or neck pain, blurred vision, nothing. none of that, which is like the traditional warning signs, mm-hmm. right? So that night, um, our daughter was asleep in 
um, the now discontinued Fisher Price Rockin' Place. <laughs> and um, why did it smother babies in this week? Something bad happened, but like it really was. It saved us, yeah. <laughs> like for sure. Um, and I had said to my husband, like, "Oh, I'll stay down here in the living room with the baby while she sleeps. You go upstairs, get some rest, and like we'll just keep doing this, mm-hmm. I guess." And he said, "Oh no, I'll stay down here on the couches with you guys. Let's all be together." And then we went to things sleep. my husband never said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, I, what I'm told is in the middle of the night, uh, I made some noises or I was holding a cup in my hand or I, I fell or dropped something so much that it woke my husband up. Uh, and he is a trained EMT. And at that time he was a 911 dispatcher and he knew that he looked at me and saw that something was wrong and he deduced that I was having some sort of neurological something happening. So he gave me CPR. So you would hit the ground. I hit the ground. Uh, baby's still sleeping. And you coded? Like I don't you know. went to cardiac arrest? I don't he doesn't talk about it. Okay. So I don't know. Okay. Um I know he maybe gave me CPR, maybe gave me compressions or gave me breaths. I don't know. Like I said, he, he was trying know. to revive you. One. He was trying mm-hmm. to get me to wake up and I wasn't waking up. So he called 911 and they took me. He told them what hospital to take me to and then he stayed home and waited for and called my mom it was like two in the morning three in the morning maybe oh, you never want to get awful um my mom came in he stayed with the baby he drove to the hospital to see where i was at um and then i had i think at that point they had taken me into they knew i had a ruptured aneurysm they figured that out um they had me in surgery to try to repair it um and during that time, they had him in a waiting room and they were giving him pamphlets of like, you know, he's had to sign all the papers mm-hmm. and those are hard papers to sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, if she wakes up, if she Ugh. remembers, here are some facilities you might need to put her in. Ugh. If she can walk and talk and feed herself, you'll be lucky. They gave him the statistics um, of survival rates for people in my position. And it wasn't, you know, what? Good. I know they have to tell you all that, but I don't know if that's the time to tell you all that. Like, get you through surgery, and let's get on the other side before we start talking about outcomes. That's got to be rough to be here and all that. I imagine it, yeah, I imagine it was terrible. Shell-shocked. Yeah. Like, what do you, you can't even absorb any information, let right. alone make decisions. Yeah. Like, you're just there sitting and waiting. It was a long surgery. I mean, I think I was in for, like, six hours for that first surgery where they um, found that I was bleeding, um, figure out where I was bleeding from, and they put coils in, mm-hmm. um... To stop the bleeding mm-hmm. and then moved me, got me stable, I guess, um, and moved me to a unit, a critical care unit or an intensive care unit. You guys know better than me. <laughs> um, and there I was. And um, I don't remember, like, I have about a week that I don't remember, but then I remember coming out of it when they got me off the drugs and, you know, woke me up. I remember, I remember. Um, looking up and seeing my brother-in-law and sister-in-law who don't live in state and seeing oh, them wow. in front of me. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking like, Oh, it's so nice that they came to see the baby. And that's the first memory I have. And then yeah. that kind of like fades away. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember him bringing the baby into me every day so she could nap with me and be close yeah. to me. She was that's brand sweet. new. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I remember being angry and my best friend called it. She said, mm-hmm. you know, Nicole's going to wake up and she's going to be fine, but she's going to be 
pissed off. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was really, really mad. What were you mad about? Um, I'm not sure. I just didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be home. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand because I felt fine. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, probably I wasn't. <laughs> I was aware of the drugs. But, but like, yeah. I just wanted to be home and I didn't understand why they were keeping me here. And that's how it was in my head at that moment that right. I was, I was, I felt trapped there. Mm-hmm. I felt like I want to leave and they're not letting me. Right. Um, and in fact, if I go through like my that's text- how I feel every day. Or- <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Uh, when I go through my text messages, like there were a couple of friends that I would text like a couple times every day because I didn't, I wasn't really lucid. I was on, like, say I was on the Michael Jackson drugs, <laughs> but I was. Um, you were on designer drugs. Like I was on some some sort of drugs, but my text messages are like back to back. Be like, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna going home tomorrow. I'm just gonna get this drain taken. I'm gonna be home in no time. But I would send like the same one to the same person like six times a day. How you feeling? Pretty great. They say I'm gonna go home like any minute now. I'm just like waiting for my papers. And my friends are like, no. Honey, you're not going home. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's happening. To the point that, like, even when I was in the hospital, I said, like, I'm not going home. It, I'm I'm not going to eat until you let me go home. I'm going to go on You're going to do the Gandhi, the Gandhi on you? Yeah, I was like, I am a virtuous person. Like, I, I'm not eating. So what? Send me home. I'm not eating. And the nurses were very sweet. Um, they had so much power. <laughs> <laughs> and I said I'll only eat like honeydew melon that's all I'll eat I was such a brat and they were like okay we'll get you we'll get you that honeydew melon and they sure did because they're like you know the option is Nicole you either eat this honeydew or we'll just feed you mm-hmm. like, we can just like give you nutrition and I didn't understand I'm still grateful that they were so patient with me because I was not I'm a very kind person but I was not a good patient there's a lot moment. of people though that I would not be a good patient either. And I sure as hell wouldn't eat honeydew melon. <laughs> you get humbled pretty quick. I'd be like, you get me chicken nuggets or I ain't eating nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, patient, the, you, nobody's at their best at the hospital. No, And modesty just goes right out the window. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you yeah. have to surrender. And that's hard for someone like me because I'm very, very stubborn. But I feel like my stubbornness saved my life. So Yeah, absolutely. There mm-hmm. you go. Um... And then, no, I was in that unit for a couple of weeks, um, and it was hard. I know you had to go back for a second procedure. How far into your recovery was that? Um, well, during when I was initially admitted, I had the aneurysm. They coiled it, and then through that process, that when the swelling was reducing, or so, I had some vasospasms, which are like stroke-like mm-hmm. events, um, that they had to bring me in for a surgery during that stay and I feel again my poor husband he was like out to dinner with his friends and he was like finally everything's cool in the hospital I'm gonna take a night and just go out with my friends and like you know just feel normal and they like called him mid-dinner be like oh sorry (laughs) he's never been to dinner since (laughs) (laughs) um pretty much and um so that was a second surgery I had and I you know people are surprised I'm like no I remember all of it like I re- I can if I close my eyes right now I can see the surgeon because mm-hmm. I see what his face looked like I could identify him in a lineup mm-hmm. like it's so vivid to me um and that went well and they reduced the swelling and because every time they would the nurses would come into my room and they would say you know come backwards from 100 and I'm like fuck you I'm like, <laughs> 
Or they'd say, like, hold up both arms. And, yeah. oh, good, you, who's the president? And I was like, I don't, like, every three hours, like, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. You tell me to sleep, and then you're in here every five yeah. minutes. And I didn't understand it until the one time I couldn't do those things. Yeah. And they were like, get her, get yeah. her into surgery. So um, after I was discharged, I went home. Um, and... There was an adjustment period for sure. Um, I feel very lucky that I still had all my facilities and I could take care of my own body and I could. Did you have any deficits? Uh, no. That's really. It's amazing. statistically really unlikely. Yeah. Um, there are things that are different f- about me now, after. Um, like my thought processing is different. Like the way I input and assess information is, is just different than it was before um my friends say that i'm more blunt has <laughs> that what happened before. to me <laughs> yeah you've, you've had a head injury apparently i didn't know that but i don't think that's like mapping back to like neurological changes i think it just is like i don't have time for the right. bullshit for the right. bullshit mm-hmm. i don't have time I'm to make small talk about the weather mm-hmm. like i want real talk all the time because I, I don't like and i'll take it like i'm i'm into that um but I had really great doctors. I still do. They're very eager to cure me. Mm-hmm. Um, so Because you're a light and a lot of darkness to them. Mm-hmm. I can understand that now, for sure. Um, but a, a couple, maybe two or three years out, uh, there was a new stent that they developed in Norway or whatever. And they're like, it's a mesh stent. And like that's what I needed. They're like, we have it now. It's approved in the States. Like, let's slap that in your brain in the most neurologically safe way slap right in there <laughs> and like patch you up and then like you you're done like mm-hmm. you're cured i was like oh no let's try it um and they got me in and it was really scary going into that surgery because at that point my daughter was maybe like three or four and i feel like she she's more affected by my absence in the, right. then um and they couldn't do it um they got me in and i was like on the t- in the surgical room like ready everything was ready to go and they like double and triple checked and they noticed that if they had placed the stent where they needed to it would have cut off blood flow to like a major portion of my brain there was like a little shit. vein like hiding behind something mm-hmm. else that they didn't see the first like four angiograms they took but they like double checked in that room that day and my neurologist that i've worked with for years like called in his colleague mm-hmm. like called people from other hospitals to like look at this yeah and they were like you can't do it thank god thank god man. thank god and can you I re- imagine like you come out of it okay and then they kind of make it better and it just they, makes I it 10 times worse out. yeah yeah um Holy and i remember when i woke up there was um he wasn't my doctor but he was like a resident or someone in training again you guys know the technical the word for that <laughs> i don't have those words um but it was He's very handsome. I'll tell you that. Well, that much. does narrow it down. And he was the one that would always have to apply pressure to my groin yeah. post angiogram. Nice. So, so Super awkward. awkward. Yeah. And I'm one like I'll, I'll, you want awkward? I'll make it awkward. Yeah. It's like how, you're so hot. How, and I'm on drugs, right? So like, how long did you have to go to school to like apply pressure to someone's crotch? No. Like, what's the training for that? So it was that guy um, that I saw when I first woke up from that, you know, I guess failed procedure. Um, and I just remember the look in his face and I, I just said like, I couldn't, couldn't really talk cause my throat was really sore, um, from the tube, but I just said, what happened? Cause like, as soon as you I know. saw him, he had like tears in his eyes. He's like, we couldn't do it. And then it would, later we found out why. And um, so what does that mean for you that if they can't do it, like, do you have to continue to go back to scans? Do that? Does yeah. there a chance it's going to happen again? Like, 
What does it mean for you? Um, well, I had that same question to my neurologist when I went back after kind of we went home that day and then we came, I went back um, with my mom to talk to him about that surgery and what happened. Um, and I asked him that question. I was like, so what does that mean? Like, do I have like, are we talking, I'm in my head, I'm like, are we talking a year, two yeah, years? my prognosis. Like, Am I dying? Seriously. Because I'm going um, to Italy. And he just gave me a big hug and said that it just means that you get to be our patient for a really long time. Oh, that's good. Which is a nice perspective. Yeah. And um, I'm really thankful to him um, because if he wasn't as experienced, he would have done it mm-hmm. and he would have killed me. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot for someone to say, like, no, I can't. Yeah. And that's brave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's really brave. That's a good doctor. It's a really, he's a really mm-hmm. good doctor. Um, a genius. I mean, bedside manner. <laughs> That's, That's usually how it goes. <laughs> I find the ones with the worst bedside manner are the best, best doctors. doctors. <laughs> well, it's so funny. Because they're thinking constantly. They're so far above you. They don't have yeah. the energy to talk to you at a lower level. And like I say that I remember almost everything from when I, after my first surgery, to, you know, when I first was admitted. But I was like not a great patient. And I'm not proud of my behavior in those moments. <laughs> and then like later on when I had follows my neurologist, I like went to his office and he looked at me and he I was you know standing and walking and talking to the mm-hmm. way to go um and he's like you know Nicole I just want to tell you that I forgive you for anything everything you said to me when you were in the hospital <laughs> I know shit <laughs> I, he was like I know that when people are in those circumstances they might say and do things that are out of character I don't take any of it personally and I looked at him and I was like who are you <laughs> like i had no memory of this human like but i you, you remember everything accosted. else except I, I just blocked it out or something but i was like what what did i say <laughs> i'm i'm not if you know me i'm a very kind yeah. i have a very kind heart like i don't say mean things about or to people yes I but the don't. circumstances you were under i was punchy <laughs> and you probably don't remember like you say you don't even remember it it's why a lot of patients will be horrible and they don't remember it you and can't like, hold it against them and when he looked at me, he said, I forgive you. I was like, hi, I'm Nicole. I had no idea. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after he tried to place that stent and he couldn't, I, w- um, I was scared mm-hmm. um, because I didn't know what that meant for me. Um, but I get um, now I'm on MRIs every couple of years, but I would get angiograms almost every year for a while. And I'm, I'm, I, th- I think I'm due for an angio this year. Or maybe next year at ten years out. Um, and they go and they check, and nothing changes. And yeah, they you know, don't smoke, don't drink. People blood pressure down. Like, oh, and yeah, can only do what you can do. I do all those things. <laughs> so you uh-huh. mentioned after you went to support group. I did. Tell me about that. Um, so when I was in the hospital, um, I had just had a baby. Um, so there's a like a risk of postpartum depression. I think for any we know that now more than ever mm-hmm. right um and then also there's a increased risk of comorbidity and depression for people with brain injuries like either acquired brain injuries like i had or traumatic brain injuries like a concussion um the symptoms are pretty similar between those two piles um and depression's always on pretty high up on the list so they were giving me a lot of pamphlets and a lot mm-hmm. of depression screenings uh in the hospital and I was, it was recommended to me by my neurologist and also my therapist to go to a support group. So I did. 
Um, it was at the hospital that I was um, taken care of at, and it was really, really hard for me because I was in those spaces. Whenever I'm in a space with the brain injury or brain aneurysm folks, people never assume I'm a patient. They always mm -hmm. assume I'm a nurse. Mm -hmm. That's like helping yeah. with volunteering, whatever. <clears throat> so in that space, that was the assumption. Like, oh, where do you nurse? Like, where do you work? And like, oh, I work at a university down the street. <laughs> like, I don't work here. Um, and it was really hard for me to be in those spaces because a lot of the other brain injury survivors weren't as lucky as I was. And it was hard for me to see that. It was hard for me to see people walking with canes or walkers or needing people to drive them to the meetings. And I, like, would take the train there and then, like, go out for coffee after. Mm -hmm. um, and the problems that they experienced, while it was, like, reassuring to know that they had similar... It, I do have some deficit and they're minor, but it was it was cool to hear that other people felt the same way. Um, but these people were kind of fucked and mm -hmm. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard for me... Um, to think about why like why did i survive and other people didn't what was your survivor's guilt like what is that all not that i don't know what it is but sure like what were you feeling about? i was feeling that um i was feeling really lucky and really privileged that i was given the chance to survive and other people weren't given that chance and i didn't feel at that time didn't feel like worthy of that mm -hmm. right like why should i survive and like the person in the room next to me doesn't get to mm -hmm. And I, it was very, very, I felt very guilty that I could cook dinner for my family and pay my bills and drive myself around and take care of my mm -hmm. kid and like bring her to like story time at the library and like other moms that this happens to don't get the chance to do mm -hmm. that. Um, and I felt just yeah, really guilty about that. Mm -hmm. And like nothing I could do would make that go away, that feeling. So has it gone better away? now? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I feel it less. Um because I'm realizing that everyone has their shit, mm -hmm. right? And some people just mask better than others, but everyone has stuff below the surface. Mm -hmm. And the older I get, the more I realize how true that is, right? And um, your perspective matters more than anything. So for me, like, I do feel really lucky. And that's okay. And I am worthy of survival. Mm -hmm. I am worthy to be here. And that's okay. It's also helped a lot that I do... Um, volunteer quite a bit with the brain aneurysm foundation they're a really great organization so i do a lot of like information sessions and tabling events for them um september is a big it's brain aneurysm awareness month and i work with the brain aneurysm foundation to like help with like policy measures in washington to try to get reform and awareness um, brain aneurysms affect one in 50 people mm -hmm. and we never talk about it it's yeah. never part of the conversation and it's it's a real thing mm -hmm. that it, you know, people have described it to me as, um, God's sniper yeah, that just like takes you out. Yeah. Um, and I feel lucky to have dodged that. Yeah. How long would you say from the day it happened till you felt normal again? Relative, like in relative <laughs> terms, like I feel like this didn't happen to me. Uh, well, it's been about nine years and I'm not quite there yet. All right. So never. I think of it every day. Yeah. Um, but now I think of it like with hope and with optimism. But right away after, for a couple of years, I didn't. Um, I was mainly just worried about my kid um, because she was so young. And mm -hmm. I, you know, right after it happened, you know, my husband went back to work and I was home. And I was that. on FMLA for work and I was home with it. was great to have that time with my new baby. But 
it was really scary because like what if like what if i just drop now? what if i just yeah. drop what yeah. if i'm walking with her in a stroller down the street in traffic mm-hmm. and i just drop dead mm-hmm. and that took a lot of therapy to get yeah. over that um and now it's better because she can advocate for herself like it's been about nine years she knows my phone number right she knows did how you to call teach her young like yeah. how to call 911 yeah. and this is what you do if you see this happen i would be like hyper vigilant for that too. i'm she's got a healthy sense of that for mm-hmm. a kid her age more than most um both from my experience and my husband's profession right like working in public service as a public safety person um where we're doing real talk a lot in our household um but she still doesn't know the details of like what happened when she was born. Um, she knows that I was sick. She knows that I was in the hospital. Will you ever tell her? I'll have to because she'll have to get screened at some mm-hmm. point. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to get her screened until she can advocate. She can consent. Mm-hmm. And I would think if she ever gets pregnant, you're going to be nervous, right? Oh, yeah. Every time she says she has a headache, I'm a nervous wreck. But I'm trying not to. Say, I have a headache. I'm like, oh, this is it. I just mm-hmm. said the other day I was dizzy. Oh. I'm like... My cat yeah. crawled up on me and I was dizzy. I'm like, I have a brain tumor. I'm dying. Yeah. She's like, you're not. I'm like, no, this is it. <laughs> so I, I, I talked to her doctors and I said, like, when should I start screening? But I, I'm kind of glad that I never knew. I yeah, am because right. I would have been a, a wreck all day. Right. It doesn't hang over you. Every yeah. Day. I don't want to put that on her. It's not my place to do that. Mm-hmm. But when she's old enough and I can educate her more about, it, she can make that choice. It's not my call to make for her. Right. Um, but. Yeah, there was a lot when she was a little baby because she was so vulnerable. I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I'm I'm almost over it. I'm almost there. <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to get over it. I don't want to. I don't think it's not something you're this is part of who you are now. I'm like I'm like I said at the start like I'm I'm very very I'm thankful for my doctors. I'm so like to say i'm thankful for my nurses is an understatement they like doctors saved my life but the nurses like saved my soul mm-hmm. for sure um they need to hear that nurses i got to tell to them that. i was really cool um as one of the support groups i went to the reason i went that day is they were taking a tour of the unit i was on and i don't i wanted to like I wanted to like wear an outfit and I wanted to like strut around <laughs> yeah. and I wanted, I wanted to be just like look pretty. <laughs> yeah, because the last time I was there, like my bum was hanging out and like they were, I they were like pumping my breasts and like it was just like <laughs> what like the nurses station like in the fridge was like my breast milk. <laughs> so I just wanted to like put some lipstick on and like yeah. wear a shoe and just walk around <laughs> and like not I didn't have my bum skid flapping, socks. right? Yeah. And the skin socks, right? Gosh, um, and that day for that tour some of my nurses were working and i like i said i remember them i remember their names and their faces like they're burned into my brain and uh one of them i saw she was working i kind of left the tour which i got yelled at later for and like went and like tapped her on you should have said i have a brain i don't remember it a lot oh i would use that all the time head injury it's really tempting and i i do i do pull my husband's got deaf in one ear and uses it all the time i'm handicapped i'm like oh please but i went to this one nurse and i kind of came up behind her and just put my hand on her shoulder and said excuse me and she turned around. I was like, "I'm not sure if you remember me." And she looked me right in the eye, and she just started crying and gave me a big hug. Oh, you're gonna make she me was cry. like, "Are you okay? How are you?" I was like, "I'm." She's like, "How's the baby? How's your How's your mom? How's your dad?" And she's like, "I was like, I'm. We're fine. Like yeah. we're fine. We're fine." She's like, "I think of you all the time. Like I worry about you all the time. Still, I was like, oh, we're okay." And because we all have those patients that remind us of us. Yeah. You and know, we were all young mothers once, and something happens when you were a young mother, and you, you stick. 
Yeah, I'm like, I'm so thankful. Um, and I realized that I remember when I was walking around the unit when they made me walk around, which I hated. Like, you gotta move. I don't want to move. I'm tired. My bed, my head hurts. Um, I remember there were flowers all everywhere, and they were like, they're all for you. <gasps> Oh, I was like, wow. what? And I was like, why can't I have them in my room? They're like, because you can't have your own ICU. You can't yeah. have flowers in your room. <laughs> but like the nurse's station was like covered. Um, That's so sweet. It was lovely. Um, and I remember the, well, I don't remember, but like the day, the first day I was in and they woke me up, I guess like a bunch of my friends were like waiting for me to wake up. They're like eating bagels in the lobby, <laughs> like having a little party together. It's like this beautiful atrium space in this hospital. And they were all like, they're partying. And my sister-in-law's a nurse, and she said to my husband, she's like, we got to get all these people out of here. Like, because, yeah, she'll wake up, but she's not going to, like... Be partying bagels with well, you. Yeah, <laughs> she's not going to want to hang out. Like, she's going to be pretty fucked. Yeah. And that was the truth. Um, but it was just nice to have all that support. Um, yeah. What are your words for people who either just found out they have one, don't know, like, are recovering from one? Well, I can't really speak to like what to say to people that just found out they have one. I imagine that's a it's a real burden to carry. Mm -hmm. You feel like you people have explained it like you feel like you have a time bomb ticking in your head. And I'm so glad that I wasn't I didn't have to carry that. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Um, but people in recovery. What do you say? I was just I wish I was kinder to myself. I wish I didn't try to get right back to like. I were the hustle because mm -hmm. I'm a hustler like I always work hard I work fast I move quickly mm -hmm. and I had to slow down and that was a really good lesson that was a healthy lesson for me to learn um, but I beat myself up a lot and I compared and like all new mothers right you compare yourself to the mom next door and what she's doing but like you, now I I don't yeah. right but now you I'm, look at it no it's Facebook fake well now it's all Facebook yeah. fake right but <laughs> At that time, I wish that I was, I gave myself a little bit more grace and like didn't feel guilty about needing to sleep so much. Like I had to sleep a lot. Right yeah. After you that's all you can sure. do. Yeah. And like I had to. Yeah. It's very hard when you have a newborn mm -hmm. <laughs> to try to do <laughs> yeah. that. Yes, it is. So I think that uh, that process took me a little bit longer is that self, that compassion and that kindness and like the understanding that I am worth it and it's okay if I need to go slower. Um, so I would just give people that advice. It's so silly, but like drink water, get sleep, take care of yourself, take care of yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I do mostly. <laughs> um, it's but, hard. Your mom, yeah. your wife, it's hard. I don't know. It's a really hard question. Like what advice did I give other people? I, I don't, I, so you, so you still work with people like the foundations. Yeah. I work with them as much as I can. Um, I have a full-time job that I, um, I teach psychology undergraduate students and this comes up a lot like i teach health psychology classes and we talk about um the sense of self post illness or how you kind of quantify your personality when you talk about chronic illness because this is a chronic invisible illness that mm -hmm. i carry and it does change how i perceive myself in the world um so it's kind of cool to have advocacy in those spaces and like you know talk about these concerns in those spaces um to help kind of inform and educate people about it i think that that's really it's really nice to do mm -hmm. but yeah I, i'm involved with the brain and nursing foundation um and do as much like kind of policy work as i can i do like tabling events at the hospital i was at every time they have them which again they always think i'm a nurse and, I just say, <laughs> and they're like 
you know, take a picture of all the brain aneurysm survivors and they like put me tote me out front and center. Like, <laughs> no, look at this one. I did like, like, look, look, ever. This one. <laughs> look how good we did with Jerry. <laughs> right, no, that like is the vibe yeah. for sure. Like get Jerry in the back. Put yeah. in the big, put Nicole up front. Like, she's Keep got the canes outfit. in the back. She's got an outfit on. Right? She put lipstick in a shoe. and shoes on. Yeah. She's going to work later. Um, so it feels great to be able to do those things. Um, I wish I had more time and bandwidth, but there are, I'm kind of starting to feel more normal, like, which is great. Yeah. I still get headaches. Well, we took I, 10 years. <laughs> almost 10 years. Uh, I still get really tired, like really tired sometimes that I just, I have to stop and sleep. Do you get tired after like a stressful event or like like something that would really make you have to hyper-focus? Yeah, I get tired after I look at a computer screen for too long. I believe it. Um, and I think that's really common with brain injuries. It's mm-hmm. that type of stuff that yeah. is like, you can't see it on a blood test or see it in a brain scan. Right. But, like, if I'm in a social situation for too long, I get, like, my social battery just gets really depleted. Um, uh, I have a a pretty, uh, the hardest thing for me is, like, sensory sensitivity, which is also really common post-brain injury. Like, if I'm in a place that has, like, bright flashing lights and really loud music. Yeah. Or, like, sounds that are just repetitive like a kid whining at you over and over again. Um, oh, I have that too. Yeah. Me too. In the lights and loud noise. It like scratches at me in a way that it never did before. And I'm not sure how much is like. So that's just not aging. No, that's what I, I don't know. There's like a where reason the line you don't is. see 40 year olds in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so funny because I like go out to concerts a lot. And my friends make fun of me because I'm like, I'll have my earplugs in and sunglasses on. And, like, big, heavy clothes so people can't touch me. Yeah, that's beyond being old. Yeah. It's Yeah, yeah like, yeah. I can still do it. But I need to make accommodations for myself, and I'm you trying to still do, that. do it. That's what it is. I you for will sure still do it. I have know. to. Or I need. Right. I, I need. That's a big part of my personality, and I'm not giving it up. But I've learned to make accommodations for myself unapologetically, mm-hmm. because who cares? Right. You know. Yeah. Well, that's it. Who cares? It's about you. Nobody else. Yeah. You got to do what works for you. And I think that getting older has helped me with that piece. Like, you know, I don't care what other people think. Mm-hmm. And like maybe ten years ago, I would have. Um, right, you're not going to be 28 like, going into a club with earphones and sunglasses on. I'm facing a really big number this year. And part of that I love about it, I don't give a shit about nothing anymore. Go ahead and make fun of me. I don't care. This is what I'm doing. My knees hurt. I'm not jumping anymore. I'm not doing that. I don't care what you think of me. I'm wearing sweatpants, you know? like Yeah, I think that's really cool about um being allowed to get older. Is <laughs> I that- almost wish, though, we could feel that way in our teens. Yeah. When you realize, when you have the body, and you're beautiful, and everything, and you're like, you're so worried what everybody thinks. Yeah, I have those moments that I like, think of, like, 20-year-old me. Like, oh. I know. And we all have <laughs> those moments. Was was, that was <laughs> the prime. We have that body. I yeah, and I hated it. Yeah. I hated every no, minute. I thought I was fat. Oh, my gosh. Size like, seven. But yeah, I went to, like, therapy for sure. Yeah. I was like, I'm obese. Like, yeah. You weigh 95 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So, no. Yeah. But now um, I'd give anything to have that body yeah, back. Same. So, perspectives change. And this really, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I do think that it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because every day, even on the shit days that you're like, my kids drive me crazy, work's driving me crazy, like, life is just too much. And there, there are days like mm-hmm. that we know. I, like, think back. Honestly, I think back to one moment I was in the hospital and all I wanted to do was go home. And they said, cool, you can go home when you can walk up a flight of stairs. Because that's how they test you, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure you're okay. They just didn't tell you the flight of stairs were, you know. <laughs> well, it was tricky. 
And they brought, I was like, yeah, I'll fucking do it. Like, bring me those <laughs> stairs. I'm going to do it. Like, tie my thing shut yeah, so yeah. no one sees my bum Give me my anymore. no skids. Like, um, get me my socks. Yeah. Um, uh, walk me over, wheel me over. I'm going to do it. And I stood at the bottom of the stairs and I couldn't fucking do it. I couldn't do it. I took like two steps and almost like passed out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm fucked. Like, that's well, when I you don't really- realize what a hospital stay does to you. I was in the hospital at 19 for like mm-hmm. a week. I was very, very sick. And I came home. And I went to run up the stairs. I made it three stairs. I was like, Jesus. And I like literally mm-hmm. sat. I'm like, what is wrong with me? It takes a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. And like my core was shot because like, I just had a baby. I like mm-hmm. just had a baby. Mm-hmm. And then I laid in bed for four weeks. Right. So, but I, that moment of like being at that foot of those stairs and I just couldn't get my body to do what my mind needed Wanted it, it to, to do. do. Um, I pulled so much strength from that moment. I'll tell you, like, there are some times that, like, I, we all do hard things. Life is hard. But I think, like, that was a time that I failed, that I had this hard thing and I couldn't do it. And I still kept trying. Mm -hmm. And now, like, if I'm faced with a hard task, I, like, think back to that moment of, like, that was the hardest. That was the hardest thing. Yeah. And I, I couldn't do it and that's okay. Um, so I find a lot of power in that. And I, that's what I, I'm choosing to hold on to that. But it does come back, right? Like the feelings come back. So sometimes I'm in the supermarket or right after this injury, I would be in the supermarket and like the the way the lights were because they were really fluorescent lights that like reminded me, I guess, subconsciously of being in the hospital and all the beeping of like the checkouts would like trigger the panic attacks and I would have to um, take my baby and just kind of run out of the store because my fight or flight instinct was like off the charts. And I, when I was in the hospital, like my fight or flight instinct was really amped up. And even now when I go in, they must have written something in my chart because <laughs> afraid of hospitals <laughs> that I'm a runner <laughs> um, because they'll always like, even for MRIs or angiograms or even whatever, they'll, come in they'll like talk to me about the procedure and then they leave the room and they come back two minutes every time they come in two minutes later be like actually we're gonna have to and then they like strap me down really? or something for the angiograms yeah they really like make sure well, i'm in there did you pull something up yeah so yeah, i have so, a t- <laughs> so i broke the mri no no <laughs> no um when i was in my head thinking that like I was being held in the hospital against my will because of ICU psychosis, I'm saying, um, I was like, I'm just leaving. Like I'm done. I'm just going to, I my, I can see my stuff. Like I'm just going to get my shoes on. I'm just going to go. <laughs> my nose kids. Yeah. Like it's fine. <laughs> I'm just going to get on the blue line and just go home. Um, so I, um, I ripped out my A line <gasps> and I tried to, I was just like, I'm leaving. I'm just going to take this out. Which is a catheter that goes into your artery and your wrist. Right, so so your wrist. that's if when you have blood a big goes all over your the wrist. wall. Yeah. And yeah, it, not ideal. <laughs> not directed. And I, this poor nurse, he was like 12 years old. <laughs> and he walked by my room. Like he wasn't my nurse, but he just walked by. He saw you sanguinating. In the and room. I was just like holding my wrist. He was like, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> And like blood was like spurting out of my wrist. I'm just trying to like get in the eye. Oh, you know, I'm good. Um, so they must have labeled it somewhere (laughs) in my chart that like I'm a flight risk or I can't be trusted because now every time they like give me a lot of meds to help me feel sleepy. Mm -hmm. 
And the weird anesthesiologist always tells the same joke, and it's just like an awful joke. Oh, no. It's like, here comes the tequila. And it's like, I don't, no, that's not funny. Like, I'm getting my brain scanned right now. It's not funny on the 20th time. time it's either. like, and it's always the same guy, and he's a, he's, I don't like him. I'll just say that. I'm not a fan. Okay. You can ask for somebody else. I did. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I even like, I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast, okay. but I like escalated. Okay. I'm like, that's really cool. I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> it was like really cool to do. Um, so, like, that's a lingering, you know, people say, oh, you have no deficit, like, you're doing so great, but, like, you know, the panic attacks at the grocery store, that's a deficit. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I would go to the hospital for follow-ups, and, like, the smell of the soap that they use at that hospital would make my heart start racing, just mm-hmm. the smell of it. And, like, you know, our, our senses are so connected, right, to our memories, oh, and it would just... ridiculous. Oh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, it would just kind of bring a lot of that stuff back. Um and then other like weird there are weird things um like some days if it's really rainy or if the air pressure drops suddenly i'll like burn everything i cook <laughs> like i just can't make it happen like i'll be trying to make dinner and it just nothing works and now my husband was like oh yeah no it's raining today so <laughs> we're gonna just gonna take out yeah job. we're just gonna get pizza and i always thought like that can't there can't no be sense. it makes no sense But you had asked about support groups earlier and if I got anything out of it. And one of the biggest things for the support groups was just finding validation in those moments. Because when I went to, we went around the room and talked about like challenges that people had. And people were like, oh, I'm having a challenge like going to the bathroom on my own. Or I'm having a challenge paying my household bills. And, you know, when I was like, I'm having a challenge like burning toast every time it rains. (laughs) And I because I didn't know what else to say. It was so awkward. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, that's normal. Like, us too. And I didn't, like, understand. I was like, what? Like, that can't be. But I I guess it's a thing. Um, And then, you know, I'm a teacher and my my students notice things in me that I didn't even notice in myself. Like, when sometimes when I would write on the board, it's like maybe a year or two out, I would always start at the middle of the word and like work around that first letter build it out like to a like, circle <laughs> to like build it out until i was left with the real word but at the time i was also like talking to students and like talking through the concepts and i wasn't really like i was kind of on autopilot just writing on the board i didn't i wasn't i didn't realize i was doing that and he said hey, professor like why do you do that i was like do what like what are you talking about like why do you write so weird they probably thought it was some sort of psychological test on them them. here's the o where's the rest of the word maybe i don't know they had to call me they called me up on it they were like you always you start at the middle of the word and you work your way out like what are you doing i was like oh i don't know (laughs) and i burn toast too i don't know yeah and it it's kind of cool i don't know i think it's really cool to like have this thing this bit about myself that i just keep in my pocket and I, you'll never, you would never know if you saw me walking never, down the street. Never, you would never. never know. I have like, I'm fine. You look at me, I'm fine, mm-hmm. right? But I think that that's a really good lesson to share with people that you never know what someone's gone through unless they make a choice to share it with you, mm-hmm. right? So I get to in those moments in the classroom, I get to like pause and use it as a teaching moment to say like, yes, I know I do that sometimes, and this is why. And this is also like bigger picture why you just need to be kind to everyone. You Absolutely. Because you never, you never know what shit someone's carrying through. around. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that that's one of the biggest lessons I learned through all this is just to know like, hey, if I'm going through this, mm-hmm. that you'll never know until mm-hmm. I have the power to make the choice and tell you. 
then what are you carrying around? Right. Like, what are you holding so close? No, 100% I agree with you. And I, I don't know, I think that that's really powerful and I think that's really beautiful. And that's what I'm, I'm making a choice to take that away from this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for being alive and be get, getting to be a mom to my beautiful daughter every day, even on the bad days. Mm-hmm. Even in the preteen years. Well, we're coming. It's happening, right? So it's happening. It is happening. Like we're on a precipice in our household of like something that might not be great. But it's, it's, let me let me just warn you. It's going to get rough the, the oh next couple gosh. of years. It's, It'll get better, but it's going to be rough. Well, I heard a great analogy that like for kids, it's like you kind of launch them out and they're off to the moon, right? And then like for a couple of years, they go to the dark side of the moon yeah. and you can't really see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But then they come back, right? And you see them again. You just start dialing back into them again. And she's like, she's launched. She's on the trajectory. She's yeah. getting there. And like, I know it's development. I teach developmental psychology. Doesn't mean I know. anything when that kid's hissing at you. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm not a, I mean, you, Laura, you've known me for a yeah, long time. Long I'm time. not like a rage person. No. But Adults. they know how to push your buttons. Ooh, it is like blood buttons. boiling. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, it's yeah. not, that's not Literally my personality coming out like what did you just say to me? and i can like see my mother in my eyes yes, sometimes yes. and like i love my mom she's like a very formidable woman <laughs> um but i don't love that yeah <laughs> so but it, like but i had heard once it's like holding a frayed wire that's sparking at the end and you gotta hold on so they don't hurt themselves yeah that's you know you try to guide them and help them it's teenagers or something but like every day's a gift. <laughs> That's what I mean. But you get to do it. You get to go through it. So. That's what people tell me. You're so lucky. Every day's a gift. I was like, really? Is it though? Because I'm just trying to make some fucking toast. Right. <laughs> Without parting it. So. Well, Nicole, I want to thank you for coming on and telling us your story. It's not an easy story to tell. And I guarantee you will get emails <laughs> saying something like, you know, my mother had this. Or something. I'm thanking you for you. It's. So it's people need to hear these stories because mm-hmm. it's not often you have somebody that close to you that can tell you something like that. Right? And like I'll say again, like one in fifty people have brain have aneurysms, right? And they're very treatable. And preventative care is really important in these moments. And if you have a family history, you should go get a brain scan, especially if you have migraines or other sorts of like sensitivities that you can't explain. Like you know, it's mm-hmm. easy to get a scan; mm-hmm. it'll save your life. Mm-hmm. So. And it's the Brain Aneurysm Foundation. That's what yeah, it's called, the, um, right? BAF.org is, I think, their website. Um, they have really great discussion forums, really great events, like uh, either philanthropic events or um, they do a lot of policy work mm-hmm. um, to try to get some reforms and just to get awareness to everyone that needs right. it um, and access to this great care. We're so lucky in our region that we have access to really, really great hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I always think, like, if I lived in rural Maine and this happened, I wouldn't be here. Well, no. you would have had to travel. They would have shipped you down here. I wouldn't have, have made it. tapped on an hour, two hours to your treatment. Right. Yeah. I mean, statistically, it's really unlikely that people even make it to the hospital. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Um, I feel pretty, pretty blessed and pretty lucky. So, and thank you for your nurses. <laughs> and thanks, thanks to your nurses. Yeah. Well, they, they do do a good job. It's a mm-hmm. hard job, but they do a good job. So, again, thank you. And, um. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Yep. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.